Exodus chapter 15, starting at verse 1. The Song of Moses. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them, they sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your, holy, by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out with her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule. And there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, 
I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. Great. Well, thank you for reading for us, Nam. Um, do keep that scripture passage open. We're going to be referring to it. Um, also, if you don't already have one, um, at the back uh, by the offering box there, you'll see an outline of what we're going to be covering. We are starting a new series um, in Exodus. On the back is also details of our adult Sunday school program. Um, we were in Exodus, I think it's now two years ago, we made it up to chapter 14. So uh, we're coming back to Exodus in 15, and we're going to run through the end of, verse, of chapter 24. But uh, let's ask for God's help to understand uh, what we just read from chapter 15. Let's pray. Um, Father God, we thank you for your word and thank you for the way that it points us to your glorious works your glorious deeds thank you for the deliverance of your people out of egypt and thank you that you uh, you guided them and took them and provided for them and and led them all the way to the promised land and lord as your people we uh, we look back on your salvation in christ and we look forward to a glorious future and we thank you that you sustain us and and provide for us on the way that you uh, you tell us we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. And so we pray that you would feed us now through the scriptures. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Water. Water is essential for life. But at the same time, water is very powerful and dangerous. I think of the flooding that we experienced just a few weeks ago. We all want a steady flow of water through our faucets. Many of us invest a lot of time and effort preventing a steady flow of water into our basements. Now, water is something that we seek for life, but it's also a threat we avoid. And in the scriptures, we find the same thing. Now, this image of water is, is used in these same two ways. On the one hand, it's an image of life and vitality. We saw recently in John chapter 7, Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. I will give them streams of living water. Now, at the same time, uh, water is an untamable force that threatens our lives. I think of Noah's flood or Psalm 46, which speaks of the earth giving way and the mountains falling into the hearts of the sea. In Scripture, water is a source of life, but it's also a source of death. And so it is in Exodus chapter 15. Now, water is a common thread that runs throughout this chapter. Uh, firstly, we see God rescuing through water. In verses uh, 1 through 25, Moses celebrates the defeat of Pharaoh at the Red Sea. And secondly, we witness rumblings about water. In verses 22 through 26, Israel complain about the lack of water in the wilderness. And finally, in verse 27, we read of, of rest, rest by water. Uh, Israel enjoy this brief respite beside uh, the oasis of Elam. Now, behind all of this is God, of course, God who holds the waters in his hands, God who is the creator and sustainer of all things, even the waters. It isn't only the waters that he rules. He controls all things. In fact, he controls all of the threats we might fear and all of the resources that we need. And let me say that again. God controls all of the threats that we fear. God controls all of the resources that we need. That's one of the things we see in this passage as we consider this theme of water. And so no matter what we need, no matter what threat we face, we can trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to save us and to keep us. That's what Genesis, uh, sorry, Exodus chapter 15 uh, teaches us today. 
You see, we're going to trace this theme of water. Uh, as I said, it, it comes in three parts. Firstly, there is this rescue through water in verses 1 through 21. Uh, and what we see there is God rescues through water is God revealing his great power, his great power to save. And then we'll look at the rumblings about water in 22 through 26, uh, which reveals to us not just God's great power, but his gracious provision for his people. And then finally, thirdly, there is this rest uh, by water, revealing God's glorious promise of rest for everyone who trusts in him. And so let's think firstly about this rescue through water, rescue through water that reveals God's great power. Uh, this is the theme of Moses' song in verses 1 through 21. And it really is a great place to start this series because it, it links us back to what has happened in the previous chapters. Uh, as I said, a couple of years ago, we looked at Exodus 1 through 14. And so uh, how about a, a recap of where we got in that series? At the start of the book, Israel is languishing. They are slaves in Egypt. They're oppressed by a powerful pharaoh. And yet we read in Exodus 3 that God sees, God knows their situation. And so God raises up Moses. Moses becomes a picture of a great savior, the one who will rescue them. And then come the ten plagues. There are ten plagues. God uh, displays these mighty deeds. He shows his great power. It's as if he peels Pharaoh's fingers off his people one by one in each of these plagues. And finally, in this final plague, uh, the death of the firstborn, Israel are set free. And they head out from Egypt, loaded up with loot. This is kind of amazing. God even uh, causes the Egyptians to, to, to shower them with gifts. Uh, but just when they think they are home and dry, if you'll excuse the pun, they encounter a very watery problem. They come up to the Red Sea, and Pharaoh at that time begins to regret letting them go. He decides to pursue them with his armies and his chariots, and so the people are trapped. With Pharaoh behind them and the sea ahead, they really have two options, either brutal slaughter or a watery grave. It's not really quite the choice, is it? And maybe that's how we feel in life at times, kind of entrapped in that way. Uh, but then God shows up powerfully. Firstly, he parts the Red Sea and allows Israel to pass through on dry land. And then if that wasn't enough, uh, he closes up the water and he waits to do it. Uh, he waits until uh, the enemies are right there in the midst of the sea and he closes up the waters upon them, defeating them fully and finally. And it's no surprise that the outcome of all of this is a great celebration. Uh, verse 1 tells us, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. And then it details uh, everything they sang. And it reminds me of uh, an event I went to a, a few years ago. It was this big Christian event in the UK. It was held in Wembley Stadium. Now, Wembley is the big national stadium in London. And uh, there were tens of thousands of people there all singing praises to God. It was quite the atmosphere. But that must have had nothing on Exodus 15. Uh, over one million people here united in song. And the theme of that song, well, it's God's power to save, isn't it? Look with me at verse 1. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. And then look at this. The Lord is my strength and my song. And he has become my salvation. The whole theme of the song is rescue. And in fact, we see that rescue taking place in two parts. There are two main movements, two verses or stanzas to this song. It starts with what God saves us from, and then it ends, the second verse is all about what God saves us for. 
what God saves us from and what God saves us for. Uh, the first part is there in verse 4 through 12. Uh, and this is really about what lies behind uh, what God had saved them from through the seas. Uh, these verses describe how God in his power defeated their enemies. And what is the instrument? What's the weapon in God's hand? Well, well we see it again and again. It's water. But look down at verse 4 with me. Uh, Pharaoh's chariots and his host he is cast into the sea. Uh, and his chosen officers he has sunk into the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Uh, look at verse 9 as well. Uh, at the blast of, his nost- of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deep congealed in the heart of the sea. Uh, even when the enemies boast how they'll defeat them. Uh, well, uh, how does God respond to this arrogant boasting? There in verse 10, you blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead into the mighty waters. Now, why this focus on the sea? It just keeps coming up again and again. Uh, Why emphasize that that God uh, defeated his enemies using water? Uh, Well, firstly, not to be obvious, it's because this is literally what happened. I mean, the song is poetry, but it is descriptions of a literal historical event. Uh, This might seem grim, but don't forget, as Israel sing this song, the bodies of Egyptian soldiers are floating in the water behind them. But secondly, I think there's another reason to stress this fact. Uh, Because this focus on water makes a bigger point about God himself. And what it highlights is his great power. In fact, verse 11 provides the summary in case we miss it. Uh, Verse 11, what's the point? Uh, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Uh, Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? In fact, by defeating Pharaoh with the water, God is really making the same point that he made with the plagues. None of those ten plagues were just random acts of power. No, they were a systematic attack. attack. One by one, God was exposing and dismantling the false gods of the people of Egypt. He was demonstrating the fact that he was the one true God, the creator of all things, the one who controls and sustains the whole universe. Uh, And now at the Red Sea, he underlines the same point. He shows us that even the uncontrollable, impassable, untamable seas are in his hands. Uh, In fact, crushing his enemies with water is is as easy for God as sneezing. Uh, After all, he is the same God who, at the very beginning, separated the seas and and caused dry land to appear. I mean, have you ever considered this parallel? Uh, God is only doing here in Exodus 15 what he did in Genesis 1. And so it's not much for him now to part the seas again and allow his people to walk by on dry land. Uh, This is the same God who destroyed all flesh in Noah's flood. Uh, Just as he rescued Noah and brought him through water to safety, so now he can bring his people to safety uh, and destroy their enemies. Uh, Commanding the waters is something that God and God alone can do because he is the creator, uh, the one who upholds the universe. And immediately, perhaps, we should think about the gospel accounts. We should jump right away to to the the gospel of Mark, to the end of chapter 4. And what conclusion are we meant to draw when Jesus Christ shows up, commanding the wind and the waves, calming storms, even walking upon the waters? This is the true and living God, the all-powerful God. And this is our God. This is the God we come to worship this morning. A God who holds our lives in his hand. A God who commands even the raging seas. A God who controls even the biggest threats that we could face. 
uh, the God who rescues us from water and through water. And this is just Exodus 15, isn't it? I mean, have we not seen this uh, to an even greater degree? Uh, We've seen God in his power come down uh, and bring about an even greater salvation than this. We've seen God taking upon flesh, living and dying for us, bearing the raging sea of God's judgment as he hung upon the cross. In this way, he opened up a path, not through the sea, but actually a a path through the very greatest enemy. Uh, He pioneered a way through death itself. And so surely we should sing today, like Israel, we should, we should look at what lies behind us. We should consider what God has saved us from, and we should rejoice uh, that this God has become our salvation. Uh, but then in the second section of the song, the focus starts to shift. We're still considering God's rescue through water, but notice uh, there's kind of a turn now. Uh, from verse 13 onwards, we begin to look ahead. At verse 13 and following praise God because of what he has saved us for. And what we discover is this, God has saved us for himself. Uh, Look at verse 13. Uh, You've led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. Uh, The church is the bride of Christ, and we learn here that, that God wants to bring us home. And this, I think, reflects a turning point in the song, but also in the story and in this book. So far, we've seen God rescue them from slavery under Pharaoh. Now we see the journey of God leading them home. He brought them out from under the tyranny of Pharaoh. Now he's going to make them his beloved people. And did you notice verse 13 sort of makes it seem like a done deal, doesn't it? You have led them. You have guided them to your holy abode. I mean, how can they sing this? They're they're just on the edge of the Red Sea. They're certainly not home yet. And the rest of the song demonstrates that, doesn't it? Verses 14 through 16 uh, emphasize God's uh, goodness and power to protect them. Uh, They expect him to lead them through a whole range of other potential enemies as they follow the road. Uh, And Verse 17 then sounds this note of final assurance. He will bring them in. And ultimately, verse 18, the Lord will be on the throne. He will reign forever and ever. And what they anticipate isn't just a good road trip. It it isn't simply that there's going to be no fighting in the back seat and and not too many stops for the bathroom. What this song anticipates is the very goal of history itself. It takes us, if you will, to the very end of the Bible. It reads like a a nod toward the book of Revelation. And do you know how the Bible describes God's perfect, eternal kingdom? Do you know that we also get this theme of water there in the book of Revelation? We're told in Revelation 21, verse 1, uh, we're told this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. The sea was no more. What? What? No more sailing? No more surfing? No more beach vacations? That might be heaven for some of us, I don't know. But uh, the point is surely this. God's victory will be so full and so final, there'll be no more need for God to vanquish his enemies with the oceans. Instead, in Revelation chapter 22, verse 1, we find that the tempestuous seas are replaced with the river, the rivers of the waters of life. This is the salvation promised by God. It's really the salvation that's anticipated in Exodus 15. Not just rescue from a bad king, Pharaoh, but rescue for a better, in fact, the very best king, God himself. 
And that's what this rescue through water teaches us. It reveals the great power of God, the great power of God to save his people, to save them from beginning to end. And listen, in one sense, it it reminds us of this. It reminds us that we are in a very similar position to the people of Israel. For us as Christians, there is a powerful deliverance behind us. Uh, Just as the Egyptian uh, bodies are floating in the Red Sea, uh, now we can say because of the life and death and resurrection of Christ, death itself is now floating in the ocean. Uh, Death itself has been defeated by Christ. Uh, And yet, even as we say that, just as it was for them, uh, we have not yet experienced the fullness of God's salvation. In fact, when we compare our own story to the story of Israel in the Old Testament, it's worth considering where are we at in the story? Are we still in Egypt? Well, no. Christ has has set us free. Are we in the promised land? No, not yet. And so in one sense, we're still in the wilderness, the wilderness of this world. And this, I think, is the key to this whole sermon series. This is is how we're going to consider this scripture passage and this uh, this part of the Bible. How do we live in the in-between times, as we've already said, with grace behind and glory ahead? Well, the answer is we live by grace. Just like Israel, we need God to guide us safely through this world. We need him to provide for us and to protect us again and again. And this is something we're going to flesh out in coming weeks as the series in Exodus continues. But for now, notice how, in fact, the remainder of chapter 15 illustrates this fact. Because having considered this mighty rescue through water, pointing to God's saving power, let's move on to consider rumblings about water, because things begin to take a turn in in verse 22, don't they? The theme of water continues, but now there's a twist. No longer is it God's power over the deadly seas that's on display. No, the question is whether or not God has the power to provide his people with water. Look at verse 22 with me. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. With the Red Sea behind them, Israel now have journeyed three days. Their water supply has begun to dwindle. By now, there are no water bottles left, and the camelback is empty. All around them is desert, and so discontent begins to stir. In fact, you can imagine the kids beginning to pull on, uh, on mummy's bag, saying, Mummy, I'm thirsty. It's okay, little Joseph. We'll find water soon. And then at long last, they come to this, uh, this river, this stream. We're not sure what it is. And, and this sense of relief. The children run down and, and grab a drink, only begin to cough and sputter and, and spit out, Mummy, this water is disgusting. Don't be silly. Here, here, let me have a try. I'm sure it's fine. Uh, then, of course, trying the water, discovering it's bitter. It, it, it's, it's perhaps poisonous even. And don't go anywhere near this water again. Uh, well, let's go and have a word with Moses about all of this. Look at verse 23. Uh, when they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Uh, therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Now, before we point the finger, I hope we can empathize with this situation. I mean, what was Moses thinking? Didn't he know this would happen? Didn't he have a plan? Didn't he anticipate this? I mean, what sort of leader is he? The last couple of months, uh, Carissa and I have been reading some books about adventures in the national parks. 
Uh, one of the things the book instills is some, some key survival tips, and, and one of them is obvious. If you're going to go out into the wilderness, make sure you have enough water with you. And so the people grumble. Uh, the people start to fret. They start to wonder where they will find water, what it is their children will drink. Uh, and when you think about it, consider for a moment, this makes sense, but it's also a little bit crazy. I mean, think about what they've just seen. Ten mighty plagues in Egypt. And then they've passed through the Red Sea. I think about this song that they've already sung. I mean, they, it was just three days ago. I mean, you could pr probably remember uh, uh, three days ago if you were a part of a worship concert involving a million people. Uh, they were singing about how God commands the waters, how he rescued them. Uh, they were singing about how God would, would lead them to safely, safety as if it was even a done deal. Uh, how can these people possibly, possibly grumble? <clears throat> Instead of grumbling, why don't they call out to God? Why don't they pray? And uh, we have to say, uh, while it's a surprise, it is no surprise at all. Uh, if we know sinful human nature, uh, we'll know this is something that we do and, and perhaps find ourselves doing every single day. Uh, having forgotten the great salvation of God, uh, we forget God's power. Uh, we forget that God is the one who commands even the mighty seas, and so obviously he can provide water. Uh, we forget that the God who defeated death is the God who will sustain us unto eternity. Uh, we forget that if God loved us enough to give us his only son, surely along with him, he will freely give us all things. Uh, and yet this is the amazing grace of God, isn't it? This is where we discover in this text God's, God's grace, his, his kindness, his generous provision. Uh, because he, he gives us all things even when we grumble. I mean, notice how God responds in verse 25. It's, it's probably a very different response to the one that we would have done, isn't it? Uh, verse 25, And Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord decided it was time to smite his people. Well, that might be how it reads. I mean, imagine you were God. If, isn't this what we'd be tempted to do? Consider everything God had done for them. That they, had, they had sung a song about how amazing he is. And just three days later, three days, all this grumbling, all this ingratitude. But that's not what God does. Uh, no, we read that he showed Moses a log and, and he threw it into the water and we get this miracle. The water becomes sweet. Now, this is a funny story, but earlier this week I was, I was looking for my hat and my gloves to go out and play in the snow. And I was getting a bit frustrated because I could only find one glove. I'm sure this must have happened to you. Uh, has anyone seen my other glove? I asked somewhat in a uh, grumbling, frustrated tone, uh, only to be told, look, it, it, it's just there. It's, it's over there. And actually, so it is with God's provision in Exodus 15. Uh, God knew his people's need. He had a plan to provide. In fact, he, he just left a miraculous log lying around there. And in the same way, God knows your needs. He knows my needs. He knows our needs as his church. He has a plan to provide for us, uh, even as we walk through the wilderness of this world. Uh, he won't always provide in the ways that we want. Uh, often, uh, he'll bring us to the end of ourselves, even to a point of grumbling before he provides for us. Uh, at these times, our own natural sinful responses will, will look very much like Exodus 15. We'll find ourselves grumbling, grumbling about our circumstances, grumbling about our relationships, grumbling about other people, perhaps even grumbling about God himself. And yet here is the amazing thing. Even when we grumble, even when we allow our sinful frustration to take over, God 
so often still meets our needs. In fact, the bitter waters here are almost a picture of their hearts, aren't they? Of our hearts, bitter against good. But rather than forcing us to drink our own poison, God provides something clear, something pure, something much better. For them, he uses the intercession of Moses. Did you see that? Moses kind of is this pivotal figure between, between God and his people. Uh, we have someone greater than Moses, as we read in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. And my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Uh, it's because of Jesus Christ that we can survive the wilderness. Uh, he is why, with the mighty waters of salvation behind and the promise of the rivers of a life ahead, we can be confident that, that God will, by his grace, provide us with sweet water to sustain us. You see, the wilderness here is a time of true, true testing, a time in which we need to trust in the Lord. Uh, that's the point of verse 26, isn't it? Verse 26 tells us that the wilderness is a time to learn, a time to learn to follow God. But it's also a time of testing that exposes our hearts. It exposes our sins, our fears, our doubts. It exposes the fact that, that we too are an incredibly forgetful people. And so hear this reminder from Exodus 15. God controls both the threats we face, yes, demonstrated by the Red Sea, but he also controls the resources that we need. He is a mighty God. And that means we can trust him to protect us. We can trust God to provide. And that is what we learn firstly in this rescue from water, but then secondly in this, this rumbling about water. But finally, and much more briefly, let's close with this, this rest beside water, rest beside water, which, which points us and reveals God's glorious promise for his people. We should say a few words about the waters of Elim. There's only one verse in them, but look at verse 27. Then they came to Elim, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. Uh, what is this all about? Why, why is this verse even here? Well, notice the water theme again. It, it's all about water, isn't it? But what's the point? Well, this is an image of rest, isn't it? I mean, just think, after, after walking through the raging sea, after three days racked with thirst, after grumbling at the stream, where do they come? Well, they arrive at an oasis, at an abundance of water. Twelve springs, 70 palm trees. That's, that, that takes quite a lot of resources, doesn't it? And in one sense, I think this is a foretaste. It's kind of a foreshadowing of the promised land. It reminds Israel that they won't be scraping by forever. And what awaits them is something far, far better than the wilderness they experience now. Uh, but at the same time, by God's grace, it also provides them with rest. It provides them with, with refreshment. Uh, Elim is a bit like a, a little vacation for Israel. Uh, th there are a lot of trials behind and there are trials ahead, but God provides them with this brief respite. He gives them relief. Uh, and listen, so often, don't we need this too? In the hard things of life, amid tears and needs and fears, uh, don't we long for, for rest and refreshment for our journey? Uh, life can feel like a long mountainous hike in a hot summer sun. Uh, but have you ever experienced this? Uh, I mean, even on a long hike, you hit this cool, refreshing breeze or perhaps a cool stream and you take off your shoes and just paddle out into the water. Uh, God knows what we need. Uh, he knows what you need right now. 
And maybe you need, to, need God to come and part the Red Seas to defeat your enemies. Maybe you face some insurmountable challenge that just seems beyond you. If so, then don't forget, God has already parted the seas in Jesus Christ. He has carved out a path for you back to God, and he will lead you to safety. Or maybe you need God uh, to bring the waters crushing down on your enemies. Well, God has already defeated the greatest enemy of all, sin and death. Far greater enemies than Pharaoh. And maybe you need God to provide you with water in the wilderness. Maybe you need God to turn the bitter waters sweet. Well, God will provide. He will meet your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Or maybe what you need is for God to provide uh, you with times of refreshing. Uh, You could do with a day or two, actually. uh, Perhaps you're already booking your vacation to uh, the streams of Elim. Uh, Not that God necessarily has some vacation in Hawaii lined up, uh, but he can provide you with rest in Jesus Christ. And don't forget, Elim points forward to a greater rest, a day of true rest uh, by the rivers of life in God's heavenly kingdom. And so wherever we are right now, uh, let's not forget this. God is the one who commands and controls the waters. Uh, Don't forget his great power, his gracious provision, and his glorious promise of rest. He is the one who controls everything we fear, as well as the resources we need. He holds all things in his hand, and so may we live by his amazing grace. And let's pray, shall we? Father God, we thank you that you are the all-powerful, almighty God, that you control all things, that you hold our lives and our circumstances in your hand. Lord, there are times when we see this in glorious ways and we rejoice, but so often we forget this. And so we thank you for your grace, and we pray that you might show us that grace again. Uh, provide what we need, Lord. Even give us rest, uh, and Lord, help us as we walk through, through this wilderness uh, and look forward to that heavenly rest in your kingdom forever. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.